0: Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call to join Allworth's Money Matters. Call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome
1: to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for joining us as we talk about financial matters. Both myself and my co-host here—we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spend our weekdays meeting with people like yourself, helping them with their plan their finances in the future, and come here uh, broadcast anyway on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air. Our whole goal and, ob- and objective with this program is to educate you so you make wiser decisions when it comes to your finances, and uh, we believe it's a worthy goal for having to have some financial independence where. Work becomes an option and not an obligation. Retirement's a possibility for those that um, want that and actually just some little more flexibility in life. Uh, And a lot of that comes down to
2: a great deal, comes down to financial disciplines. Yeah. Personal responsibility. Do you remember? Do you remember how that works? Personal responsibility? Do I remember how it works? Does the listening, well, does society remember personal responsibility? No one talks about that that anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's a strange time. Everything's someone else's fault. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone else's fault. Personal responsibility. And that's what personal finance is all about. Obviously the word personal, personal responsibility. You're you're responsible. It is so interesting.
1: You know, we've been doing, we've been advisors for 30 plus years. We've both in person. There was a time when I had a few hundred plus clients,
2: uh, and well, they didn't leave us. No, no, then no. Someone else on the, the firm, firm. <laughs> okay, working with still them. Still part of the firm. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Um, I was the primary advisor. I still have relationships with many of them. But uh, we have talked with thousands of people over the years through this radio program, through other venues we've been in, and what is always interesting to me is at at let's say retirement age. Let's call it sixty five or whatever. There is a little correlation between one's income and one's retirement uh, readiness. Yes. Very little correlation. Now, every once in a while, there's the person who's who made a fortune just either through their career because the company's stock options or something kind of got lucky. They tend to be an exception. But otherwise, you can see someone who's made family's incomes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. They get to retirement. There's no way they're prepared for it. You see other people whose family income is 60000 a year. They get to retirement. Home's paid off. Ready to go? I mean, it's really amazing.
2: It is. It's actually. It's. Uh, it's ha- what. What the difference is is how people r- relate to their own spending patterns. It's spending patterns even more than investing patterns. Yes, it's spending patterns. It's the, those willing to actually. And by the way, when you're investing, it's a store of wealth, right? So. Th- you always hear the story of this guy got rich because he picked this stock or that stock. Or or they an They anomaly. bought Bitcoin or they bought Tesla when it was $0.03. It's cents, an anomaly. It's an anomaly. For most people, when you invest your retirement savings, it is a way for you to store your wealth. What is a store of wealth? Well, for most people, it's a store of labor. You have taken your labor. You traded it for money. Some of that money you got back in the trade, you put in a savings account. The government encourages it by putting tax-favorable treatment on much of this, and then that is how you stored your labor, is through capital markets or lending. Capital markets are equities. Capital markets can be other things, or lending, which is bank CDs or bonds. Yep. Yeah. When I explain this, I've taught in a number, for the day, by the way, high school classes. I've taught for a day or two in That's high school. painful. Not a whole day. Not a whole day. Just a couple hours. I don't think I could do much more than a couple hours. Um, but as I like to explain God it, bless high school teachers, oh, and maybe more so middle school teachers. <laughs> Actually, I ran into a high school teacher the other day. He was telling me, was, I, I said, thank you for your service. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? um, but lending money is bonds, CDs, you're lending money. And Ownership is when you own a physical asset, real estate or stocks. Ownership versus loanership. Think that it, does sound good for high school students. A good diversified portfolio will have both in there. Unfortunately, most high school students
1: graduate with very little in the way of personal finances. And the the financial classes they have tend to be stock picking uh, contests, which is so foolish. Well, How does that... <laughs>
2: Well, which is which is we saw in the last couple of weeks, Fidelity now has made stock trading free from twelve to seventeen year olds with parental consent. Yeah. Yeah. Twelve to seventeen with parental consent.
1: Fidelity is in just about every area of the financial services and wealth management, right? So they have that sort of thing, which I would kind of scratch my head out and like, is this helpful? Yeah, what what are we? Maybe they think it's an educational process for their future clients, customers. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's kind of one end of the spectrum, and they do a bunch of. I'm not. I'm not going to say they're a good or bad company. They just are. Um, they just are a company. They are a company. Anyway, uh, if you'd love to, if you'd like to be part of our program, we would love taking our, your calls, answering questions that you bring to us, and our contact number to be part of our program: eight three three ninety nine worth. That's eight three three triple nine six seven. Eight four, and would love to take your question. We're going to start here with Robert. Robert, you're with Worth Money Matters.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank you. And, um, I got a couple questions. Um, a little background first. I have a financial spreadsheet. I call it my retirement plan. That covers everything that I can think of. It runs out to the age of one hundred, and I lean towards a conservative nature. So most of the assumptions in it are are conservative. Like what? Just as an
1: example, like what's a growth assumption? What's an inflation assumption?
3: Inflation, 3%. uh, 401 growth, 2%. My Social Security gets decremented by 15% because of the net. Okay, you
1: are conservative. So you're assuming that your retirement assets are going to lag inflation by 1% or is that a 2% real return added onto that inflation number?
3: No, sir. The the first.
2: Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. I would call it the doomsday <laughs> spreadsheet. Quite frankly, Robert. But he's it, no, probably thinking, "What if I'm
1: hundred? What if I'm on fixed income yes. the rest yes. of my life?" Right.
3: Well, Continuing. yeah. I, I um, set my premature retirement at the age of fifty-five. I spent a lot of time looking at my spreadsheet. Now you are retired. I am retired. Okay. Yes. So I guess, and my question is, in your opinion. Is my financial situation on my spreadsheet, my retirement plan, does it seem solid and appropriate enough to last 40 years?
1: If what you're stating is you are are assuming your portfolio is going to lag inflation by 1%, you're assuming that uh, Social Security is going to decline in real returns, real numbers by 15%, and you have enough dollars to last you to your age 100,
2: I would say you are... Uh, I don't know how much more uh, we can increase probabilities of outcome. How much? How much money? Uh, how much as a percentage of your four hundred one k is in equities? Uh,
3: not much anymore. I got a little. Uh, that's my problem. I think I'm getting too emotional. You to
1: know what? Happens, here's you know? here's one of the challenge. How long have you been retired?
3: Um, almost six years now.
1: Okay, but when you think back to your working days, retirement was a thing in the future. You're saving money every month, kind of like putting wood on the woodpile, right? Every month, you're right. saving money. Uh, you're busy working, so you've got a daytime thing that's keeping you busy. Uh, and your your account's growing just by the nature of you continuing to add to it. You suddenly move into retirement. One of the things, you've got plenty of time on your hands, right? So you've got plenty of time to click on and say, what's my account look like today? We're no longer adding to that wood pile. Now we're pulling the logs off. Right each month, we're taking some some money out. So we're not we're not having any growth any longer because unless the markets do something for us, because we're having some sort of withdrawals and and it can get a bit all consuming. And and frankly, the more you look at it, the more you study it, it probably does not lead to better decisions. How old
2: are you today?
3: I will be sixty one in August.
2: 61 years of age. Okay. How much of your portfolio, you said you don't have much in equities. How much do you have in equities?
3: I have, as of yesterday, I have
2: 8%. Okay.
1: And do you have any other weird asset class, gold or
2: dogecoin or something? And how much money uh, do you have, saved for retirement?
3: Uh, 1.4.
2: Okay. So you've got 8%. Uh, So approximately $110,000 in equities out of this 1.4%, correct? Correct. Okay.
1: Did you know, going back to 1925, according to Ibbotson's, there's never been a 15-year period where equities, the broad stock market measured by the S&P 500 index, has not outperformed the bonds. And you're talking- Even if you bought in- 1929 at the top of the market so if you're 61 and you're trying to plan to you live age 100 there's a huge chunk of your dollars that you're not
2: even going to touch for 20 years so that's exactly where i was going with this scott is the the, the problem is not the portfolio it's you It's you because of how you view the world. So you've got this bunker mentality, but you can get to the same place. And I've done this. Look, I'll tell this story with a a client. They had more money than they were ever going to spend in their lifetime. They had sold a business and more money than they were ever going to spend in their lifetime. And I put them in a 50-50 portfolio, right? 50% stock, 50% bonds and cash. Exactly the opposite of kind of what happened with you. And He, the the client and his wife kept pushing me to get more equities in the portfolio. And I said, you know, we could put more equities in the portfolio, but the reality is you're going to react negatively in that portfolio in a down market. And if you change the model or allocation anywhere in a down market, you've actually defeated yourself. He said, I know I might do that. What do we do about this? I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a third of your portfolio and we're going to put it in a separate account. We're going to take your IRA, and we're going to move two-thirds to an account that you will watch on a daily basis, which is fine. And I'm going to take a third of the account, and I'm going to put it in this other account, and we're going to go 100% stocks in this, 100% equities. You cannot ask me questions about it. We can't talk about it. We're going to pretend it doesn't exist. How long ago was this? Four years ago. Okay. And it's done great. Obviously. It's done great. And the reason we did that was to remove the psychological uh, barriers to the portfolio. And I said, this money is going to be inherited by your children, so we don't care what it does on a day-to-day basis. We care what it's worth in 15, 20, 25 years Now, from with now. Robert, it might be, I care what this is w- worth when I'm 75. That's right. Or 80. Right. Or 80. So- if you have to do it that way, do it that yes. way. If you were my older brother, I would be pounding you. to I would just say, this is just stupid, but you're not my older brother, and I've never met you, so I can't say that. Um, you can, don't worry. You, you, <laughs> so, Robert, you know exactly what the answer is. You you said you're your own worst enemy. Wasn't that the word you used? I,
3: well, I didn't use that, but
1: no. I think I'm becoming that, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, this is, this is so classic, and you're uh, 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 Jeremy Grantham said that the The number one risk to investors is themselves something along those lines he's one of the famous uh uh, investors 100 years ago or whatever it was the the challenge is it's not easy being an investor because we are emotional humans and and we're designed to protect ourselves from things that are scary we 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 run away from from things that might hurt us i mean if the pandemic hasn't shown anything it's that something that the death rate is very small on a kind of a global basis but scared scared everybody right i mean it's so we are designed by nature to to hide to protect ourselves to uh avoid any sort of any sort of risk and and in, in, when you invest you need to embrace some of that you need to be ex, you need to be comfortable with some of the ups and downs that's why it's so
2: hard to be an investor scott long-term. i would i would argue the other fact that robert has exposed himself to more risk by not having Correct. equities in the portfolio by not what having more. What if inflation more? is 5% or 6%? Yeah, you in oh, an inflationary right. environment, you want to own the thing that causes the thing. You want to own equities in an inflationary environment. Or real estate.
3: So let, let me ask, okay, that was one of my questions as well. I've got two rentals in California. And in my plan, I assume that I sell one of them when I'm 66, 67. And the other one when I'm 70. But given the real estate market today, and the fact that real estate tends to be a good inflation hedge, should I should I sell it or should I not? Well, you know, it's
1: classic. So you are thinking about selling it. Suddenly, the asset price went way up in value, and now you're thinking about not.
4: <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> so right. I mean, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna answer that question. Uh, what you should do in the next. Several and, and years. And actually, I wouldn't worry
0: about
2: it. I actually wouldn't. I wouldn't ha- even have it on my agenda if, if, to sell a property. If you were property. sixty,
1: if you were planning on it in sixty six or sixty seven, and you were sixty five today, would say sell it now. Not that we we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All we know is the real estate market's been on fire in much of the country,
2: and the opportunity to sell is just tremendous right but now. But if it pops up on your calendar at sixty five, and you say this is the day I need to, you you know, I quite frankly, Robert, you would you would benefit from some professional financial advice. Mostly so that uh, you could blame or uh, someone else <laughs> or anything. So, well. well, that's okay. helpful.
3: I, I got to quit. Okay. So, you know, I've had a few adult drinks. and I did some self-reflection and from a financial perspective, and I've been considering a financial advisor. But now, how do I know they can do better than me? And you don't. Will the will will the benefit outweigh the cost? That's right. How would I ever know?
2: That's right. Well, first of all, I can tell you most financial advisors could do better than you, assuming that they can help guide you,
1: assuming that you'll take their and advice. And I'm convinced. And we're going to have to wrap here in just a moment, Rob. But I'm convinced. I've been doing this thirty years. Thirty. I, the, the greatest value that I have brought to clients over the years, typically families, typically, well, People it's either like husband, yourself. Life or it's someone who's been widowed or a single person. The greatest value I've added is keeping people from making mistakes from which they cannot recover. And that part of it is is when the markets are going uh, unbelievably well, people want to buy more and buy at the wrong times, and when markets are going horrible, they want to run for the hills and sell out everything. And it's those times when they make decisions based in those periods of times, often they they can do things that – are irrevocable
2: to their, their finances. So we need to wrap here, uh, Robert, but I, I, I will leave you with this. You should have no less than 35% of your portfolio in equities. No less, no less. How you do that, it's up to you. If you hire an advisor, they would actually probably push you to get 50% of the portfolio in equities because you have enough money that you could actually do distributions and never t- touch the equity side of the portfolio for 15 years easily. Yeah. So yeah. you need at a minimum, if you want to take anything away from this call, it's I need to get at least a third of my portfolio in equities.
1: Yeah, glad you called. Call. Yeah, you obviously done some good job uh planning. You reflected I- on over a couple of adult beverages <laughs> is what he said. Usually you don't make the best decisions, <laughs> no, by the way. I- <laughs> We've always had a no alcohol policy in the office. Yeah, in part because I would not that I'd expect many of employees to be in by, taking advantage of in the middle of the day, but that's the last thing I want to do is mix that up with uh, investing decisions. Yeah,
2: and it's nineteen. It's not nineteen seventy two anymore,
0: which is why there's
2: no I, alcohol. I keep the,
0: the scotch <laughs> locked up in the
1: uh, like. Like, it's what ma- they call those little things they used to kind oh, of the rolling them? Yeah, the, yeah, bar carts. Oh my god, it's not like it's Mad Men. No, all right. Anyway, uh, let's continue. Can on calls here with. Uh, Let's talk to Kathleen. Kathleen, you're with Allworths Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McClain. Hi, guys. Hi, Kathleen.
5: I have an HSA question. All right. I have a, about $4,000 in my HSA, and I don't use those funds much other than covering my copay for one biannual wellness appointment and when contact lenses or glasses exceed my benefits. I have no chronic conditions and I don't take monthly medications. I contribute about $2,500 each year to cover my maximum deductible. I'm working full time and approximately three years from my planned retirement. How old are you? So recently, I'm uh, 64 in two weeks. All right. I recently directed about $500 to be invested in that Fidelity Health Savings Fund, Class K. Okay. Because it seemed to have low risk, and it's a no-fee. It was a no-fee transaction. So was that a good choice? Did I invest too much, too little?
1: Well... I'm not sure how their K thing works, but it, it depends on... Investments come down to a couple things. One is, when are you going to need the money? And, for example, if you've got money set aside that you plan on on um, buying a vacation home in two years, well, the last thing you want to do is put it anywhere that's got any volatility. You want to have it somewhere nice and safe and, and sound. Uh, so that's one of the things. The other is, is how much can you kind of tolerate for ups and downs? We had a previous caller that couldn't tolerate much ups and downs, very conservative. So if you, if you're like, well, that some fluctuations don't bother me much, then it really comes down to when do you think you will withdraw the money from that account? The way I use my HSA, I've never withdrawn a dollar from it. So I've got a family HSA, high deductible. Every year I put the maximum into it. Uh, through my employer, it goes to, I think they choose some company it goes to. And then when it builds up in a big enough balance, I transfer it to a an, another institution where it's invested 100% stocks. I'm 54 years old. It's 100% stocks. I don't plan on touching it until government forces me to touch it whenever that might be in the future. There'll be some changes by the time I'm so
2: the, the answer to the question isn't, let's forget what you did with the money because you put it in, you said a Fidelity K fund. I don't know what that is. I assume you said it doesn't have much risk. I assume it's mostly bond. The question is, should you be putting more in and should you dr- be directing it more aggressively and then paying for those deductibles out of pocket? Yeah. Right. So are you putting the maximum into your 401k? And are you saving money well, on? I think I am. Okay. Well, that's. I, f-
5: I'm putting my my maximum deductible per year.
2: Okay. But the, you're putting the maximum the law allows. But in one your could 401k. certainly argue
1: that you do the step of maximum where you get the 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 match and 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 then you move to the HSA and then you go back to additional pre-tax contributions. And I would
2: agree with that argument Just if you're highly disciplined. Yeah, and I ma- don't mapped all that out. <laughs> What's yeah. then?
5: Yeah, I don't. I don't get matching funds on the HSA, okay. but I do on my 401k. Yeah, I understand.
2: Yeah. So, 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 so the basic point is the simple way is you actually put the 401k into the maximum, and then you actually fund your H, 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 HSA, and I would go with the same allocation in the 401k and uh, the HSA. I'd have one and the same because the timeline oh. will be similar, and then I would pay for my deductible expenses out of pocket.
5: OK, it's that, contrary to what the industry yeah, kind of
1: pushes, because I've got an HSA and they send me tell me things. And here's they want me to get a credit card with it or debit card it. of some sort. And
2: you know. it, Scott is doing it right. I am doing it wrong. My wife wants to pay for the co-pay out of the HSA. I bet, Pat, you've told this story before, but your wife's an accountant. I bet if you went to a little
1: spreadsheet. Not that you're the master of Excel spreadsheets. I could <laughs> do one. <Okay. laughs> you did a little spreadsheet. Honey, here's what the HSA, here's why my reasoning behind this. She would say, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Okay, Scott, you're but It's right. probably more so that this is her part of the partnership that she takes care of. She does a great job. And once you start messing with the way she's doing it, then suddenly
2: you're brought into the whole thing. And then that, 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 that's right. So I've been married (laughs) 35 years out of all the things that I need to fix in my marriage. The HSA (laughs) is really (laughs) way down on the list, but that's how you want to do it. Kathleen is you want to actually take those dollars, pay for the deductible and invest it aggressively or is at the same risk level as your 401k and pretend it's part of your retirement savings.
5: Okay, yeah, because I was thinking of it as a savings account for future medical. Expenses.
2: That's how I view mine. Yeah,
5: actually, the, okay. the, the way I look
1: at it is the, the more tax deductible uh, uh, in investments I have, then I avoid paying taxes. The, the longer better. the better, particularly if there's no required minimum distributions on them. Which it's not. a strange thing. And if it's used for medical expenses, there's no taxes on the growth. I don't think. And i assume that my life is going to go like a lot of people's, where I'm going to have much greater medical expenses in my latter years.
2: Yeah, you were treated for poison ivy this week for falling off your bike into a poison ivy. Oh,
1: that, I, I tell you, I get bad poison. <laughs> Thank you every for 10 the call, years. by the way, Kathleen. I get bad poison oak about every ten. There's poison oak all around where we oh, live. Poison oak, not poison ivy. Yeah, poison I oak. wouldn't know what poison ivy looked like. I'd be in big trouble because it's the same. And about every ten years, I'm stuck. I have to go to the doctor and get a shot of some steroid and get on prednisone because. And so this was last week, and I'm I'm on my mountain bike. I do I like to mountain bike and. Same day, some lady told me I need to slow down. But anyway, that's another story. So I come around the corner and another guy right around this bush coming. We're about ready to hit each other head on. So I get off the trail. I go to put my foot down. It's on an embankment and I roll right into a poison oak bush. I mean, it's all around me. I'm like, oh, this is bad. Do you go home and shower immediately? Oh, yeah. I use tech new. Well, I finished my ride. (laughs) (laughs) Got to clear the head, too. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you finished the ride. I had no choice. (laughs) And, um, Within hours, I'm starting to itch. I go to the doctor the next morning. He's like, "Oh man, with not even 24 hours, you're already having this breakout. This is pretty pretty bad." So, um, I have not been sleeping well because as much as the prednisone's helping, it's not. Uh...
5: How
1: old then, are you? I'm 54. <laughs> and then I'm going to be complaining about how hard my life is. <laughs> uh, our dog was neutered yesterday. Our puppy. We got a, a puppy a few months ago. Okay. And some my wife felt bad for him, so he, he was able to sleep on the bed last night. You, so your cone. dog got
2: neutered, and your wife let it sleep on the bed. So neither, none of us slept. Oh, last night. you are making husbands across the United States look bad by accident. He's,
1: he's a cute little dog, though. He's a so much. He's a good dog,
2: and he'll be better when he doesn't. When he's past this, and I tell you what, I don't care what you did to my dog. It would never sleep on my bed with me.
1: I don't care. I mean, you, he's, he's a, a little eighteen pound dog. I don't care. I don't care.
2: If I was pers- actually the one who suggested he leaves his crate
1: a few weeks ago and hops up in the bed. I don't care. All right.
2: <laughs> You're looking at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> no, it's not a Great Dane for crying
6: out loud. We're not, not living
1: little, in the woods.
2: Uh... The dog isn't protecting your household against invaders where you have to have it sleep in your bed, <laughs> which was the original intent of the dog anyway. No, but he's they were a man's <laughs> alarm clock. That's what the dogs, basically how they got domesticated is to warn people. You, No one's coming into your bedroom at night that the dog needs oh, to be sleeping scary. on the 18 bed. 18 pounds
1: of watch out. Uh, we're taking a quick break. We will be back with more All with Money Matters.
0: Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back
1: to
2: Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McClain. And uh, talking about financial stuff here oh, I, today. You know, I, you know what I wanted to talk about? So, oh, Let's give our phone numbers out in case anyone likes to join our show. Join the show. 833-99-WORTH. That's 833 six seven eight four. And you can actually call at any time. And um even if we're off the air and we'll schedule time for you to visit with us when we're on the air. So um and by the way, if you like this program, um we'll ask
1: you a couple things. One is give us a review on this Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to it. And if you think it's helpful uh, forward this on to a friend take one of the episodes that you found particularly helpful for yourself and you think I thought my buddy would like this Um,
2: forward that on to your friend we'd appreciate yes. that and man. that is completely self-serving Scott but we would appreciate if our listeners would do it's that it's not completely first. self-serving
1: I think people people benefit
2: from this program oh, I would hope oh I guess it's not completely self it's a it's, little self-serving yeah of course
1: it's a little self-serving yeah. most of the things I do in my life are self-serving <laughs> well, I'm
2: honest with myself well most people's lives
1: yes I wake up I'm thinking about myself yeah yeah and it's yeah. like, Oh, I forgot. I got a wife. I got a kids.
2: Okay, What's that, that hit you around 1030 in the morning? Some days. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, wait, it's, where's my breakfast? <laughs> it's, not, it's not the Scott show. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, this came out. It was an article co authored authored by Robert Jackson, who used to be the securities and exchange commission member. Oh, gosh, this stuff gets right?
1: so, it's just frustrating.
2: And, uh, He is now a professor at New York University School of Law, and he recently co-authored a study on financial advisors who commit misconduct under one regulator, and then they operate under a different regulator once they lose their license. So financial
1: advisors, the whole group of people that are giving out some sort of financial advice, think of three broad regulatory regimes. There's the Securities and Exchange Commission. They register, I mean, they they regulate fee-based advisors, fee-only financial advisors. They regulate registered investment advisory firms, firms like Allworth, and there's other number of firms out there. That's what they're responsible for regulating. And then also, a lot of the big brokerage firms, they still have to kind of come through, through them. But there's also an independent regulator called FINRA, the Financial Industry Reporting Organization. Is that what it is? Regulatory. Uh, Regulatory. Yeah. Okay. FINRA. FINRA is responsible for brokers. Think of the old traditional Wall Street brokers. They have a securities license to sell securities. Uh, And then outside of that, there are state insurance departments that have their own licensing to sell insurance products. Oftentimes, an advisor might be regulated by all three of those entities.
2: There's a fourth one you missed, which is small investment advisory firms. Registered investment advisory firms that can be regulated by just the state and not the SEC. But here's what happens. And the the name of this paper was called Wandering Financial Advisors. And it looked at the history of brokers that are regulated or investment advisors that are regulated under the Securities Exchange Commission that lost their licenses where they went. These are people who lost their license. Lost their license. You got to kind of screw up to lose your license. You got to do something really, really bad to lose your license. You got to be a bad, bad person to lose your license. They looked at the people that lost their license. Where did they go afterwards? The pool cleaning company. Right. Uber driver. Are they running a car wash? Where did most of them end up? They ended up as insurance agents of one form or another. Oftentimes selling life insurance and annuities, including indexed annuities. Because indexed equity in, indexed annuities. Equity index annuities are regulated under the insurance regulators, not the SEC. And so why this is important to you is that again, you've heard us say it a dozen times. Go to the broker check database. Anyone you're doing business with financially. Put their name into broker Just check. Go- all you got to do is Google broker check. No matter who it is, who you Bing. either Bing or Google broker
1: check.
2: <laughs> no, no one gives Bing. I'm, 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 I'm. You I'm, don't use Bing. I'm going to. St- I, I. All I know this is because actually our marketing people get a lot more leads how to Bing than they do. Is that out the of one Google. that's owned by Microsoft that comes yeah. as a default and you got to change it and
1: Yes. And they upgrade it and then it's back again. And it's like, how do I? Where my <laughs> Google go? Well, we're, we're off the subject now. But go back to broker check. Look, search broker check, put the person's name in. It will tell you what regulatory history this, this person's had and if there's been any sort of reprimands, um, violations, suspensions, revocations. And I've seen in—so in, we broadcast the Sacramento region for—we've been broadcasting 26 years. The same radio station we were on, there was a, a gentleman, a man I should call him, who was disbarred for like five years uh, from, he lost his securities license. He dropped his security license, no longer registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, and no longer registered with FINRA, I should say, acted like he's a fee-only advisor, but was really selling a bunch of equity index annuities. The Securities and Exchange Commission filed suit against him. I think they're probably going to make an example out of him because it was... It's the right hand, I not know what the left hand does. It was pretty... There's Id- another outrageous. one. This guy lived on the same street of my previous neighborhood. He lived 10 doors down 15, 20 years ago when I lived in that neighborhood. And just a few years ago, he was he got, he got stole like a $1.8 million from some seniors. He had dropped his securities license. Something happened. No longer had a securities license. Still billed himself as a financial advisor. Not licensed with anybody any longer. Nobody's supervising him. Working out of who knows what as a bedroom or something,
2: and was bilking investors. So these are two examples in our own geography where and if, if people someone had people just would have checked, just broker check at put the person's name there, it's going to tell you, "Hello, like this is a bad guy. Don't do business with them." So regardless of the investments that someone is pitching you, check check the broker. Look, check. and I.
1: By my nature, I am a trusting person. I, I, I believe most people are trustworthy. I found it goes better in my life if I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. But when there's a really big issue like this, right, you need to really do your research and do your due diligence to dig deep to, to make sure the person you're dealing with, like this, this, is, this is a, it's a big transaction, right? It's a major life decision when you're hiring an advisor. Broker check. Just remember, broker check. All right, let's uh, take some calls again. Let's talk with Grace. Grace, you're with Allworths Money Matters. Hello. Hi,
6: Grace. Um, I am a California State Retirement System employee, and I'm planning to retire in 2022, late 2022, or early twenty-three. At the time I retire, I'll probably have 11 weeks of um, unused vacation, and I'll receive a lump sum payment with my final check. hmm If I'm retiring December 31st of 22 and I take that final check, I understand I will not be eligible for the CPI that goes into effect January 1 of 23. And if I take the check in 23, then I would, um, and retire in 23, then again, I'm I'm sorry, if I do it in December of uh, 21 or 22, I would get a CPI increase Mm -hmm. in January. Otherwise, I miss this, don't get the CPI increase increase. So my question is, and I is think is that has to do, to- it has to
1: do with on January 1st, if you had re- if you'd been receiving a pension, you're going to get the, the increase. If you hadn't been receiving, then you're a brand new pensioner. So you're not going to get an increase because you're brand new to the system, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay.
6: Yes. Yeah. So my question is, is it better to take that lump sum and forego one of the CPI increases or to, um, take, uh, to wait and, and go early and get the lump sum in the year that I have a higher um, salary or wages or
1: how much is, what percentage of your, of your income will your,
2: your pension uh, replace ballpark?
6: Um, Probably about 50.
2: All right. And by the way, those aren't the only two options. Right. You can take, you have 11 weeks. You can actually spend the last five weeks of work on vacation And pay out the six weeks as a lump sum. Yeah, she's
1: just thinking from a tax standpoint. Correct. So her thought is from a tax standpoint, she waits, retires January of the following year. That 11 weeks is going to be paid out. That's essentially going to be her only income for that year other than her pension. Are you married?
6: I am, yes.
1: And is your husband retired?
6: He is retired and does receive Social Security. Um, And I will be 65 when I retire. So my second piece to the question would be, am I better to then immediately take my Social Security at 65 when I retire 65 in some months or wait till 66 and a half after reading your um, (laughs) recent article about Social Security, take it quick? I'm questioning that.
2: And what's your family income at retirement? So let's just say that you retired um, on the twenty ninth of December, what would the family income be for the, by the following?
1: Way, it, by, by the way, uh, Grace was just referring to an article that is on our website. Um, it's a featured article on yes, Social Security is on the brink. So,
6: yes, um, without my Social Security, it will be about ninety three thousand a year, and then if you add my Social Security, it goes up to about one hundred and twenty six or twenty seven.
2: So, for tax purposes, it doesn't really matter. It's the CPI, right? Which is what.
6: I, I, I think so. Yeah, I think unless um, at that 96, if I don't take the um, if I still get a standard deduction and I don't take the um, my Social Security that first year, it would offset the Social Security. This, quite, this
1: So it would be much easier for us to answer this question if we were sitting in September of 2022.
6: Yes. Right. So right we now we know what like, the tax situation and we be. know what the CPI <laughs> and, and, look yeah, like. Yeah,
2: inflation. You're kind of paying attention to which you might not have a year ago,
6: but
1: all of a sudden, whoa.
2: But. Yeah. So the answer to your question is we have no idea because <laughs> of the, because the deci- we don't know we don't know the if, decisions too far out. We don't know if the taxes are going to change. And we don't right now. If inflation stays close to z- zero, which it's not. I mean, it is absolutely inflation is here. I could tell you how he would answer it if we needed to make the decision next month. But you're asking me to make a decision for the year 2022. And the good news is, regardless of which
1: way you go, it's not going to have it's going to have a negligible impact in your retirement. But, But I love the way you're thinking. I do, too. I mean, you are 100% right on in your thinking. This is exactly how I've I been. Mean,
2: I was trained to think this way, and this is exactly the kind of thing. I,
1: I Look at all the options, right?
2: Yeah, but, but we're too early in the process to actually, because we don't have all the, the factors, right? We're trying to solve for X, and we don't know Y and Z is.
6: So in summer of 22, I should be looking at what's the CPI rate running at that point what what does it look like it's doing if it's an inflationary cpi it could be very much very beneficial and what do you know what
1: what 12 month what you know what 12 month period they use to to give the increase what that trigger date is there must be some date they publish it
6: yeah it's it's probably i mean i would guess that it's probably the end of the third quarter but i that's a pure guess
2: that would be my guess
1: and they, they give an increase beginning of January, like the right beginning of the next year?
6: Correct. Every yeah. January 1st. Okay. So you'd
1: want to make the
2: decision as soon as you knew what that number was.
1: Odds are you're going to, odds are you're going to retire in December. That's,
2: if I were that, a betting man. That would be my guess. Okay. But, but, that, but I love the way you're thinking. I, I mean, good for you. Are you an analyst for the state, by the way? I am not. Okay. Oh
1: Well, you should be. <laughs> you should be. The state would be in much better shape. <laughs> oh, I know. Than People like you around yeah, the numbers. You
2: should not be, as a taxpayer in the state of California. I did not want you to retire, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
6: It's happening. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. In the state of California, we think things can't get a little more crazy. Uh, and by the way, what you do have an option do you have a, a access to both a 401k and a 457 right now? I do. And are you using them both?
6: Um, I am using. One of them. The other one, I just put dollars aside in a a Roth on my own because I don't like the investment options for the state.
1: Uh, One option you could do though is is you can determine so that your 11 weeks of vacation that dollar amount goes into the 457 plan. You retire the next month, the dollars come out into an IRA. IRA.
2: So you have you have some flexibility because you have both plans available. That's to a you. way that is actually a way that you can take that
1: vacation in 2022 and have it taxable to you in 2023 if you so desire to. Or
2: 2024 or 25 or, six, or whatever. So what I would be doing is if I was sitting at the you asked one question, I'm going to answer a completely different one. If I was sitting in a room with you as a financial advisor, I would be looking to take that income, that vacation, assume we were going to hit it all in that same year and figure out how we could defer 100% of that using the yeah. deductibility of both the 457 and 401k throughout the year. Yes. Okay.
1: Then, then we don't have to make this decision. You know what?
2: We know to just retire in December. Yeah. And it's easy that way. That's some pretty good thinking right there. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Thanks, are Grace. You, are
6: you tracking, Grace? I am tracking. Yeah, so of course I she is. Have heard she should have been an analyst for the state of California. I, I I have heard that folks are doing some folks do that where they take part of it in, um, they take some of the cash or they vacation in the at the end of you know November December, and then they take the other half and put it into their retirement.
2: You can can put all of it in because you have both – you're one of the rare uh, institutions in the United States that both has a 401K and 457. Which means you can can do twice as much. as $46,000 a year into a tax deferral. And you don't like the investments, but it doesn't really matter because they're only going to be there for a few months. You're going to roll it out the following year into an IRA and, and buy anything you want.
6: Right.
2: So that's what I would play with.
6: Okay. All right.
2: Good luck, Grace. That's great.
6: Thank you. Yeah, enjoy you. Your retirement.
2: Yeah, for sure. Perfect example of what financial planning looks like right there. That is, the yeah.
1: So, if your investment advisor today that you've been working with doesn't have these kind of conversations with you, you've got you've got an investment manager. You don't have a financial advisor.
2: Correct. Perfect and, example.
1: And I believe. That value is brought in our industry through financial planning and and guidance and investments and proper investment allocations. Not trying to outsmart the markets, not being able to predict what the next Amazon is, which sometimes people look to their investment advisor to be
2: able to somehow read the tea leaves or something. If your investment advisor could predict what the next Amazon would, they wouldn't have any clients. They wouldn't need them
0: (laughs) be a billionaire
2: themselves. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. (laughs) I was going to say they'd be calling you from your their yacht, but they wouldn't be calling. They, they wouldn't, wouldn't be, be calling talk, you. They would
2: not be talking they'd to be you. they be talking to the helicopter pilot. <laughs> where's,
1: my, where's my ride? <laughs> They're supposed to have four jet skis here.
2: You know how? Well, my life is so tough. I've been in Monte Carlo almost a week, and I have yet to be invited to a private party. Have you, on, you been to Monte Carlo?
1: I have not been to I Monte Carlo. I went there. My son was a, this right. summer in Nice, France. Okay. supposed to be a language school. Right? I saw the... <laughs> right? I, I saw the First of all, I saw the online brochure. There were cute girls on their bikes in Nice. I'm like, you're going for language school or what's this about? It's the language of love, Scott. (laughs) Anyway, we're there. So I went to to Monte Carlo, Monaco and all that. That is one of the strange... If you really love money and love material goods, that's the place for you. It's just, you know, you go to some places like, wow. I mean, everyone's trying to outdo one another, right? And people live there because there's no taxes and... Um, I, like, I mean, money is a tool to provide lots of things. I don't, how big a yacht do you, my dad always said, wherever you go, there you are, <laughs> yeah. right? you got to take yourself with you. So nothing, things don't change a whole lot.
2: Are there like Versace
1: stores and not all over the place? I don't know. They're fancy stores. The, the size of the yachts are, oh. some of these yachts, they have two. They've got a, another boat to, to haul their toys and stuff.
6: Hmm.
1: It's just so strange. Hmm. But By the way, most very wealthy people do not live that way. Yes. Most do not. Yeah. There's a lot of very quiet people that have $100 million, $200 million that you would never know. And they want it that way. <clears throat> they want it that way. And they don't view that going out and buying more stuff is going to change anything for them. Anyway, I don't know why I got on the top. Let's talk to uh, Michael. Michael, you're with All Worth Money Matters.
4: Hi, Scott and Pat. Hi. Great to talk to you today. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, uh, last year, um, I, I think I accidentally retired. I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, I know it was a pandemic year and you asked to shelter at home and all that stuff, but you just didn't log in or what happened? <laughs>
4: um, not, not exactly. Um, I, I did turn in my laptop on my last day of work, uh, that sort of thing. um, so, uh my company offered a, a buyout in June. And or well, the the offer dropped in June and um you know we had, know, well, 6 weeks or something to make a decision and um so uh, I, I started working with a fiduciary um uh financial planner um you know uh, at that time um and uh, ultimately made the decision to um kind of walk away from my uh, corporate career.
6: Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
4: Uh, and uh you know the analysis that was run at the time you know was kind of quick and dirty you know we didn't really build out you know a full financial uh plan at that time but this is you know the the priority there then was to just kind of make a go no go yep. decision um so now um you know um quite a few months out from that um you know <clears throat> i felt comfortable enough from from the analysis to make that decision um and i'm you know i'm trying to understand if i you know if i get the itch to go back to work you know it'll be to go back to work and not necessarily for the for the money per se i guess but okay um how old are you uh oh um i'm 45 45
2: 45 yeah yeah, assume you're gonna assume you're gonna go back to work make that assumption oh Okay. <laughs> Why do you state that, Pat? <laughs> what? Because how many people have you, I've talked to many people that have retired at 45, and what they find out is there's no one to play with because all their friends in their age group actually have jobs. And unless you want to, you know, unless you want to join a seniors bowling league or, a, a, you know, whatever, they I ta- paddle ball. I, I, I talked to a friend of mine this week. He was
1: retired CHP, retired at age 50, full pension. Uh, then uh, opened up some coin-op laundromats, and he's got three or four different coin-op laundromats in various places. And he says to me the other day, I think he's 54, 55, something like he says to me the other day, he says, yeah, he says, all my laundromats are, like, fully operational. They don't need me anymore. He says, I got to find something else to He says to me, I got to find something else to do. Like, I, It's just not healthy for me not having... Productive things to be working
2: on. Yeah, and especially probably one of the reasons you could retire at forty five is you're probably highly productive at your job, or you're just darn lucky. And I'm going to go with highly productive. Which one is uh,
4: it? Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I I feel like I was pretty pretty darn productive. Um, it was it was stressful, um, and I and I, I ended up you know regardless, I, I think I needed a change you know right. a change.
1: Okay, uh, and sometimes scenery, these buyouts um, it let, it's way. like.
2: The company's got to make some decisions like, all right. Okay. So the question for us is I'm going to go with the assumption that you're probably going to return to some sort of work between now and the day you die. Yes. So what's your question for us?
3: Well, so, um,
4: you know, I I have a portfolio. And to be perfectly honest, I haven't really, like, focused on – I haven't tried to optimize on – um, either retiring or semi-retiring early. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to go back into corporate America with a six-figure income again. So I, I, you know, maybe what I will What do you have saved again, for retirement? Be...
1: What do you have in all your retirement okay. savings?
4: Okay, here we go. I've got um, $13,000.
1: Bottom line.
4: Oh, Everything's saved oh total at. number. Um, I've got um, in my little app that tracks it, it's, it's got a total net worth of two point nine million but that includes 300k of home equity okay. and um I've estimated a pension that they're going to pay out the net present value of that is about 240,000 so you know ca- call it um and 200 how- or 2.4 million let's say of investable assets
1: And how much and how big is your mortgage on your house? Uh
4: mortgage is 278,000 okay. And
2: left. married how much married kids? Oh. I I'm single, no kids, say, no dependents. There's, there's no way he's me. married with kids cuz he you'd need to get out of the house. <laughs> that's right. That's a good point. <laughs> and and how much were you making at your job? So, um
4: I was making about 125 to 130 um but that was really, you know, I I didn't start out making that much. What do you need What do you think years. you need?
2: How much do you need to live on?
4: Uh, I think 80,000 a decent number for me to live on. Um, you know, I, I had, had a pretty high savings right there towards the end when I was making those six yeah. figures.
1: You can make it work on a couple caveats. One is that you need to be pretty disciplined on this portfolio. Yep. Because you don't there's not a there's not a lot of wiggle room. If we're talking about two and a half million dollars of investable assets at um three and a half percent distribution. Yeah, that's if you were at 75 at three and a half percent distribution, easy. super easy. You're 45. That's the one caveat. The second is be have a mindset that allows you to flex a little. So, if we go through another period, if last twenty five years we had two downturns where the stock market fell roughly half, let's assume we'll have another period like that. We be be prepared so if we have another dismal time, that maybe you tighten the belt a bit during th- those seasons. And I would, and when things are going flush, don't be tempted to say, "Oh my gosh, I I made two hundred grand more than I thought I was going to be uh, taken."
2: And if I were you, I would not start a 72T distribution out of IRAs or 401Ks. I would use any of the cash up first before I started a 72T distribution.
4: Okay. I, I did want to ask you about that. Um, I just figured, with, so the vast majority of the 2.4 in, in investable assets is, uh, about uh, 1.8 million of it is in a 401k, yeah, so I, I would instead
1: I would look at particularly the first couple of years. Use your cash after-tax assets to to mm-hmm. fund your needs. Convert some to a Roth because you've got a great opportunity right now with your income being low, which is essentially the same thing mm-hmm. about taking money out of your retirement, but now instead of taking it out, we're putting in a Roth IRA, which is much f- favorable uh, for you. If you are 55, maybe you could look at a 72t. But there's there's so many so many years
2: between now and. And 59 and a half even that yeah I I wouldn't, I wouldn't I, you don't know where you're going to land it's all new to you this retirement is from you know it's part of the fire movement and most of those people that actually read about fire movement are actually working because they have their own Financially logs. independent retire early, early. so anyway, Some appreciate
1: say. the call and I had this conversation with um, a friend today when I said uh, I am I, ne- I hope to never retire.
2: I hope you never retire either. Okay.
1: Anyway, we're taking and I have which certainly helped a lot of people who, who retire. We're out of time. And uh, anyway, it's been great being with you. Thank you for being part of
0: Allworth Money Matters. We'll see you next week. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.